Hello and welcome back to Smug and Play, the internet's foremost podcast on 1990s Windows gaming. We are currently mired in April of 1995, and I apologize that it's taken us so long to get here. Uh, we were off the air for a little while because I was attending to the the birth of my daughter. You probably thought we were just trying to avoid early 1995 game demos. That would have been nice. That would have been the most likely explanation, but no, Austin's had his second child. Yes, she's, she's very cute, and she doesn't know about early Windows gaming yet, so lucky her. But not lucky us. But we have to trudge through. I'm looking so forward to the games of 1996, 1997, 1998, and I'm willing to put up with the games of April... 1995. None of these games pooped on you, technically speaking. None of them have. They've damaged me in other ways that are more permanent, I feel, (laughs) than a simple excretion. But, you know, April 1995, we usually try to dig up a cultural event or something like that to sort of give some context to the the games that we're playing. I tried to dig, and you know what? April of 1995 just wasn't the world's greatest month. The the headliner for April of 95 is the Oklahoma City bombings. So that's kind of... Uh, that's, yeah, that's legitimately sad news. It's legitimately sad, and that was, that was the tone for that month. Yeah. And I think this month's disc is maybe one of the saddest we've played so far. You did have some lighter news here, I see. I did. I wanted to have something to uh, contrast the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, and that is the longest sausage ever made at 28.77 miles, completed in Kitchener, Ontario. I mean, I guess there's not really any limitation on... I mean, you can just keep pushing. I mean, you you might have to make a sausage face elevator, Uh, actually, to have the sausage reach out to the moon. That's uh, an interesting footnote. I don't know where you find the... These, these little tidbits and i'm not gonna ask so you know moving... the, you know those little those little pictures that they have at the bottom of articles on on shady websites where it says trump ends another obama era 1995 highlights promotion i don't know it's just clickbait anyway. stuff not high quality news Speaking of not high quality news, I don't have a copy of April's PC Gamer issue. Yeah, I mean the PC Gamer magazine. Yes. We do we have seen the cover. Unfortunately, they kept it to the straight and narrow. No more of this is beauty enough. They just focused on one game. That's right. One title. And that game is Descent. Which, the one we already talked yeah. about. <laughs> so PC Gamer rightfully Dedicated a lot of that uh, issue to Descent, its development, and uh, we, but we already talked about Descent for like three hours, so I don't think we can talk about Descent anymore, which is too bad, because I'd rather bad. talk about that than about some of these games. But we should just, we should just put ourselves and the listeners out of their misery and talk about what wonderful content was present on the PC Gamer disc of April 1995. Yes, well, first there's some games that were not working on the previous disc that yes. we had dealt with i think the most notable one is under killing moon which yes infinitely told you to swap the cd <laughs> to put in disc one yeah. refreshingly pc gamer finally owned up to the fact that about 90 percent of the demos on their previous disc didn't function they either didn't install or after they installed they didn't work or there was some experience destroying bug and they reprinted a number of games on this disc so if you're going to get a disc 
uh, for early 95, you might as well just get the April yeah, one. Just skip to April. Just skip to April because it's just going to have fixed versions of all the stuff that was on the earlier disc, namely Under a Killing Moon, as well as a ton of other stuff. Apparently, Dr. Radiaki was broken. I don't even remember hacking. I don't I was, remember that being broken. I'm but, so used to having yeah. to hack uh, their installers in order to get them to work. Sometimes I just X-copy over the files myself. Anyway, it was refreshing to see that it wasn't just me going crazy, that actually the demos were horribly broken. Yeah, I'm, you've already negged on the disc. I don't think it's actually that bad. I mean, if we if you count better. Descent, and then Full Throttle and Heretic are this definitely is, worthwhile okay, titles. The, yeah, the, I think the problem is this disc just falls off a cliff, and I would think we'll... Yes, I think we'll that, get more depressed as we go through this. Well, podcast. so the headliners for the disc are quality. There's Descent, obviously, is is really the headliner. Uh, in addition to Full Throttle and then Heretic, we can't talk about Descent, but we can talk about those other titles. Do you want to start with the good? Wait, which one's the good? Oh, sorry, I meant I meant Full <laughs> in order. You Heretic. mean in order? Okay, sure. Yes. So Full Throttle would be, I guess, the second headliner on this disc after Descent. Yes. And let's let's explain to the ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. What Full Throttle is, because that's something we often fail to do on the podcast. Yeah, go for it. So Full Throttle is a LucasArts point-and-click uh, adventure title. It was released on April 30th, uh, and it was Tim Schafer, game director, who would go on to make a number of interesting things, such as Grim Fandango. It was his, his first outing as project lead head writer and designer. Um, he had worked in secondary roles on The Secret of Monkey Island, Monkey Island 2, The Chuck's Revenge, as well as uh, 1993's Day of the Tentacle, which is one of my favorite LucasArts games of all time. Because Tim Schafer was given so much creative control, he, of course, made it about his favorite motorhead, gearhead topics, namely Harley-Davidson motorcycles, which are lightly veiled and obscured in this game as, like, Corley Motors. It's obviously Harley-Davidson. Mm. And uh, it's, a, it's a story about the handing over of, uh, of that motorcycle franchise from the forebears and the founders who were really authentic motorcycle enthusiasts to a new generation of, of super and, and more business-minded people. I think that's sort of the overall. Sort is this of, your comparative literature? Yes, yeah, my favorite. Because my this I is mean, my book report that I I played it over the summer, and on day one, <laughs> I had to answer a multiple choice test about the themes of right. full throttle. Well, as somebody who just played the demo, though, it's, right, it's a point-and-click game with murderous bikers, but I I didn't really <laughs> understand why they want to murder each other, and I was just wondering, is that like. A scheme to build anticipation so that I go to my CompUSA and it's, put yes, down it's, my it's $50. It's to establish the mystery of why do they want to throw Ben in a dumpster? Why do they want Ben to be dead? And you won't really figure that out. So I remember playing this demo when I was a kid before I played through the game. And it took me 30 minutes just to figure out how to get out of the dumpster. Oh, wow. But if you know what you're doing, then the, you, the whole thing is over in like five minutes. But it's uh, a well-produced exciting tantalizing you know five to 30 minutes depending on how things go for you and i think it really showcased what lucasarts was doing with the point and click adventure at this point it's much more immersive than earlier games that had a sort of half a screen of visuals and then half a screen that was a grid of words and you would click on the verb that you wanted before you clicked on the thing in the screen it, it uses the verb coin so that you have a full screen of of gorgeous hand-drawn visuals and then you can sort of 
it's either long click or right click on the action you want to take, right? Maybe the thing I like about this sort of era of LucasArts games and Monkey Island 3 is similar is that there are only like three verbs to choose yes. from. Like, it's a much yes, more very limited verb palette. simplified. Yeah. You don't have to yeah. like, look, you know, click on the same pixel yeah, nine like, times. Look, talk, use, and that's yeah. about it. You know, it's very simple. Um, and you just click normally to walk around the the environment yeah it was greatly simplified and streamlined and i think it adds to the immersion and mm. like i said the production value is really really great you have like new musical compositions that are playing you've get you get these nicely integrated uh, animated sequences that are obviously done by the same artists like they're in the same style um there's some great dialogue i mean i think yeah i also remember as a kid i couldn't figure out what to do with the bartender the bartender is just stonewalling you on why they stole your keys and threw you in a dumpster and he's not telling you anything at all I couldn't figure out what to do. And then what I learned is that in Full Throttle, when you don't know what to do, the answer is always physical violence. So when I just grabbed his face and then pulled him and slammed him into the bar by his uh, piercing, then, you know, the the story continued to unfold. As with all the LucasArts games, it's very comical. When you beat this nine-minute demo here, you beat it by pranking these rival biker gang, mm-hmm. uh, which I won't give too much more detail to yeah. spoil it. The puzzles themselves are comical. That's something that Sam and Max did, and it's... it's but there's, there, there's a lot of violence and comedy at the same time. You know, it's a nice mix. violence. Yeah. I'm... I'm the thing is, you don't get introduced to some of the better characters as well in this demo, but that's for that's for the listener to discover by playing Full Throttle. You can they remastered it. I think it's on a whole bunch of consoles now as well, so it's it's you can access Full Throttle fairly easily. And it's a short game. I think that was one of the things it was criticized for when it was released, but I think it's a great experience. It doesn't overstay its welcome, and I think there's only like one or two horrible pixel hunt puzzles in it that will frustrate you, and the rest of it is is an enjoyable experience. So it's a it's a pretty cool game, and I'm glad that they put that on the disc. Yeah, I have I have two bonus questions. Bonus questions. One, okay, is the main character designed to look like? George Lucas in 1985. <laughs> it's kind of got this, you know, more than five o'clock shadow. It's a very... And there's a little resemblance there. And I know he's in a motorcycle. It's a very flattering so. depiction of George Lucas. If that's, I mean, I know where you're coming from with the kind of the pompadour haircut and stuff, but I think that's George Lucas himself back in his early, like, THX and what was his, like, first film? It involved bikers or something, didn't it? Anyway. Like, early, early George Lucas I think had a similar sort of personal aesthetic to the protagonist i don't know who ben is actually modeled on if anyone but that's a good question well you said you have two questions i don't know the answer to that one well there's a voice cast for this game oh that's right who who might be notable in this voice cast well guess who shows up in way too many computer games of this era especially adventure games as well as space simulations of course is mark hamill as uh as our villain the uh the suit adrian ripberger now, I, I wanted to point out, I, I mentioned this now outside of when we were recording podcasts, but in order to put together like Tim Schafer names for this game, you take a word that means to destroy an article of clothing, and then you take another word from fast food, and then you create, that's your surname. So Rip mm. Burger, right? But you can also have like uh, Tear Shake or uh, Stain Fry. Those would all be completely legitimate last, last names for characters in the Tim Schafer game. So you make your own full throttle characters by using that formula. Just like I said, way of, way of destroying your clothing plus a fast food item. 
Sometimes you just wake up in trouble. One minute you're on the road, riding. Not a care in the world. Then some guy in a suit comes along. Says he's got a deal for you and your gang. Next thing you know, you're neck deep in something rotten. Your gang's gone, and if you don't get on your bike and find him quick, everything you count on to survive could just disappear. When you wake up in a pile of trouble, there's only one way out, and it usually starts with a lot of punching. So next is Heretic, and I, I want to talk about because I think it's easy for people to expect too much from this game. I mean, obviously, yeah. like, Doom came out. It's based on the Doom engine. It was relatively very hyped. I think I actually, going into playing the game and researching this podcast, had actually far too negative a perception because my recollection is sort of from, uh, I'm going to say, 96 year where... I would go to Fry's or whatever computer store, and I would just see hundreds of Heretic, Hexen. <laughs> At some point, Hexen 2 yeah. came out. I would just see these things littering, you know, the PC game section. Mm. And I I think just from that, I felt like, well, this can't be, like, anything worth playing. Yeah. But I think if we're fair to it, like, and just see it as, like, okay, it's another kind of doom game and i could well, see people were happy playing it i think that it's a very polished doom clone at a time when most of the doom clones were not polished at all they were just um, pessimistic cynical cash-ins um and you know if you compare this to dr radiaki right it's head and shoulders above that it's an actual you know polished interesting piece of entertainment it has its own well-constructed world it has its own well-constructed narrative the, the systems work, but those systems are just highly derivative of Doom. I mean, I know what you mean. Like, the thing is, this game didn't get a retail release until March of 1996, even though it was released as shareware in 1994. Right, so, so I didn't know about that. It was, until it was under the radar for a long time if you were just looking at retail releases. I would mm. see it show up on discs, and I was always surprised at how high quality it was, the quality of the presentation, given that the name associated with it, Raven Software, wasn't one that I was really familiar with from anywhere. But we should talk about the story behind this this game. There's a team of two brothers mm-hmm. who had a software studio that was briefly on the same street as id software uh when id software was in wisconsin i didn't know that that was a time for them but i assume that they're are they in like they were in like before Shreveport. they had ferraris they you know, fries don't get good traction Texas, right? uh in the snow in the snow near madison wisconsin yeah yeah anyway so these two brothers have a, a game studio and they want to build a fantasy game and um, we're interested in using the doom engine john romero walks down the street and uh helps them set up um, the Doom tool set that he built on their Next Step system, similar to the Next Step system, the Next Cube that John Carmack used to develop Doom. And they build a game and, and take the, the Doom engine and modify it slightly to accommodate some additional mechanics. So this is a dark fantasy theme. You know, there are demons and cults mm. and occult rituals and things going on, and that's sort of what the story is, which is not dissimilar from Doom's sci-fi demonic fantasy themes. The problem for me is that it's just not mm. different enough. You know, like, Doom sort of starts in a sci-fi way and then introduces demonic hell elements. And then this game sort of starts in a generic high fantasy way and then introduces more demonic hell elements. And 
it wasn't like the difference between Doom and Dark Forces, where it's like, oh, here is a legitimate reason why I'm going to play this game in addition to Doom. It's like the theming is completely different. Well, my color commentary version, and it might be wrong. So, you know, John Romero, if you disagree, you should come on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome to. My understanding was that John Romero is, you know, a famed, you know, interactive game storyteller. Was, you know, that's the thing he... he well, he, he made the on. first episode of sure, Doom, which sure. is arguably the best design. If you don't like Sandy's levels, it's the best designed. Sure. Carmack's focus was always on the tech. His mm-hmm. focus was on the storytelling. Yeah. And before Doom, they didn't really have any tech that could do storytelling but when doom came out i think romero was interested in expanding to more games that are kind of in the rpg genres Mm -hmm. of the day and and i think definitely you know the the rpg gothic horror thing right is what i see here and i think they were trying to take that engine and sort of modify it to bridge the gap into this other genre but i don't it's it's an okay game, but it's it's hard to feel like, oh, I played this and I well, got something out of it from that I didn't get from Doom. I agree that that was something that Romero and others were interested in. The people yeah. who did that well were the people who made Strife. Strife is an RPG which is built on Doom tech, but it is it is much of a technically and in terms of its storytelling, a much bigger departure from Doom, I think, than Heretic is. Like, Heretic's technical innovations are that you can look up and down, but because Doom doesn't have perspective correct texturing or anything like that it just horribly distorts everything um, i didn't think it was that bad and, and they added an inventory system i think it was not that bad because they restricted how much up or down yes you they could do they made it very limited so you couldn't tell how horribly it was distorting the geometry but um they introduced an inventory system that allows you to pick up potions and these potions can give you some like magical abilities some of these magical abilities are very novel, like being able to turn uh, enemies into chickens. That's very cool. But a lot of it's not very much at all. Like the Tome of Power gives you alternate fire that just is like a supercharges mm. your weapons. And, you know, a lot of the magic in this game is not very magical. It's it's just adds an extra aura to your weapon. You know, it's yeah, it's think... still very much in that doom mold. Well, they look very fancy. There's one where you they put two fancy. hands into a dragon claw and then there's yes, one... The, which is basically the chainsaw yeah right? you oh, know it's yeah. like you know what it is it does look cool to like electric of evil with well, green my, flame or my disbelief was more suspended than yours okay um and there was also the gauntlets of the necromancer which give you the emperor palpatine effect no that's what i'm I talking really about like that, that one that. is like oh, that one yeah that's but that's like it functions just like the chainsaw right yeah but it looks like you have these magic you have these gloves with pointy fingers that shoot green lightning bolts or whatever yeah I have an interesting question in my notes, which is, it has a story, but how is this story told? And <laughs> not, not to the player. In Doom, they have those long interstitial segments where it like mm. slowly types out the story, then absolutely nobody read it, and it's in a font that's illegible. And I never bought the full release of Heretic. I only played the shareware one over and over again, because I like the level design. It's very Romero-esque in how the levels are built, the way the key progression works. Compared to other Doom clones and, and Wolfenstein clones, they basically make interiors that are like large hospitals, large hallways with small rooms attached to them. This felt like a reasonable gothic horror environment. There's some cool environmental effects. There's running water sort of like in Dark Forces that can push you. Like they added some things, but compared to what Dark Forces did, for instance, I feel like it's not a lot. 
dark forces and so many more elements of the interactive uh, landscapes and like the 3D models that come in and out of, of view in order to provide a sense of scale like when a TIE fighter flies through the ship that you're in like it's so much more than what Heretic does but which doesn't say that Heretic is bad like I said it's, it's very polished for what it is it's just I don't feel it sufficiently differentiates itself this podcast sponsored by LucasArts yeah. <laughs> it's my check in the mail George it's, it's, um, it's just- Sounded like the... it. I think it would have to be Bob Iger, actually. No, oh, that's right. So Raven went on to obviously to make you know Hexen, Hexen Two, all that Heretic Two, all that stuff. But they also uh, worked on Quake Four. Uh, they worked on the 2009 Wolfenstein reboot, and then because that didn't work out so well for them financially, and then their their project after that didn't work out well, they kept on shedding developers and kind of shrinking down. In '97, they were bought by Activision, and ultimately, uh, Raven ended up being a contributor to the Call of Duty series, starting with COD Blops, and they contributed to Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, which are considered to be the best games in the Call of Duty series. So was that Raven's influence? Thanks for bringing Call of Duty into this podcast. Yes, yeah, like we we'll never really get there. It. We're really never getting there. And I don't <laughs> care. I don't want to get there. I uh, fixed your door. It was sticky. All right, next one is Panzer General. Panzer General. This is not the Grognards, Grognards war no, game. No, this is quite approachable. This is a sadly accessible for for William R. Trotter, the Grognards, Grognards PC Gamer war game editor. This is too accessible. But we talked about this before on the podcast. So it's nice that they have it a It was reviewed demo. before. It was yeah. reviewed, but now we have a, a demo with like two whole scenarios, I think, available to you. So I've talked about my affection for this game how did you uh find it i think the game is great but with this game and also sort of with all the games that follow there's like a huge glaring problem for me so panzer general i think it's just the demo you click start game and you're immediately the nazis invading poland <laughs> and i just you wanted them to send you flowers first or a little cutscene, just something up. explaining why you are the Nazis? Why I'm the Nazis? Like, I don't want to feel like a bad guy. You don't want to, you be know, when I play into a situation like that. Where I think that most, I don't know what the developers would do, but the publishers would say, "Hey, why don't you have the Allies fight in your demo?" Okay, <laughs> start with the Allies. Yeah, do the Nazis. That's for that's for people who really want to get involved. Well. I mean, I can't speak for what war gamers were really looking for at this time, but it's it's an interesting and a deep yet accessible war sim. It's like yeah. the only one from this era that's really worth talking about. You said you didn't want to play too much more of it. You can only take so much of the of the hexagonal war game. Well, it's not even the only one on the on disc. The disc. So, no, it's not. so it, I, I think we've just been saturated with it. Uh, but I, I I played it. It was easy, it was easy to play. I enjoyed it. I even you know I liked the little battle simulation graphics. Even though it's a little bit weird because you know one side fires and the other side fires, yeah. but somehow the the side that just got demolished like returns to full health before it fires. So there's not some things haven't been sorted out in the animation department on this game. Yeah, there's some work to be done there, but uh, you know, 
You understand what they meant. The next game on the disc that we're discussing is... Noctropolis. Noctropolis. What does Noctropolis mean, Alan? What is Noctropolis? I believe it is a city of the dark. I see. Um, Okay. This is a point-and-click adventure game where you teleport into a comic book world. Yes. You don't, in this demo, really get to explore the comic book world, so... No, as soon as you go to it, it immediately terminates. So I wrote not even a demo, but just a tease, and I think it's that's, that's probably the best yes. description of this. They show you they show you the beginning of the story, yeah, but it is also the most depressing, least interesting part of the game, I imagine. Although I I watched a little bit more in a let's play, and I don't think it gets too much better. Right. So it just gives you the backstory yeah. of being a very depressed, you know, recently divorced. Yes, man. It makes all those things very clear that your comic book slash bookstore is in arrears and you they are simultaneously evicting you shutting off your power shutting off your water and initiating bankruptcy procedures and all these things and all you have after the divorce is like a a floor lamp and you the only way that you can escape from from your horrible situation is by reading a comic book series that that the character learns has just been discontinued. And yet, despite the comic book series being discontinued, a creepy little girl shows up at your door speaking only in rhyming verse who informs you that you've won a wow. contest for said comic book series yeah. called B. Darkshear. And I think Darkshear is is the faceless cloaked villain who they introduce in the intro cutscene. And you skipped over the sort of stripping vampira uh you know fantasy segment as well, well so there, that. so there's okay so i wrote my notes here there's a the pc gamer menu before you install says that the encounter with the succubus is quote not for kids oh sorry succubus not vampira no no okay i think that's a cartoon girl vampire who appears in like a nickelodeon show um i'm sorry no vampire is the original one from like edward oh from Ed- okay yeah. Okay, we're going back. Yeah, so there's when you sit down and, and read your comic book for Escape, you have a dream in which a woman clad in a nighty. How can I phrase this in a way that's going to be appropriate for families who are listening to the podcast? Um, you're approached by a woman clad in a negligee who um, bears fangs and frightens you, I think, ultimately, and that's it. Yeah, I mean... This goes back to like what 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 is a demo like what 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 are these what is the point of the demo what did the publishers want out of the yeah, demo I know and is the publisher hoping that the player is going to say I want to see more succubus I I don't know I mean they don't show you anything about the actual meat of the game the yeah. comic book well, I don't part, know I mean so I don't it's know it's basically it's it's a it's basically like a, a visual novel slash you mm-hmm. know, adventure game there's some extremely lame puzzle solving but. The the amount of sort of inventory manipulation and stuff that you have to do is really limited in order to get through the demo. Like, I, I did a little speed run. All you got to do is run in your office, get the ticket stub, go to the front door, give it to the girl, open the box, flip the coin, and the whole thing's over. Like, you can yep. be in and out in 40 seconds or less. What did you learn about the actual visual novel part of this? I, you did a little bit more YouTubing yeah, so the game. In the full version of the game, you actually read a, a digitized version of whatever this comic is, Darkshire, which I think is an original property. I don't think this is based on a, an existing comic. This is a fictional comic that was created for the game. 
Um, but you read parts of it, I think, in order to get the story so that you can properly enact things. The full game more heavily features um, Stiletto, who is the heroine of the fictional Darkshire comics, who appears as a pinup poster in his office. But she's a more a more important character in the in the full game. Having played the demo, I would not want to play the full game, though, because, I mean, even though the writing and the item descriptions and things are not bad, it's just tedium, you know? Like, the story's telling is not particularly interesting, I didn't feel. Right. So all I can do is fall back to the reviews where Computer Gaming World acclaimed, quote-unquote, this release is... I think that's they didn't like it at all. I think they panned it uh, as highly derivative, both of comics and other computer games. So yeah, well, you like derivative. It, you things. smell a little Gabriel Knight when you're playing it. Gabriel mm. Knight, of course, the Sierra Adventure game. Jane Jensen uh, made it. You know, it stars a bookstore owner who's sort of down in the dumps but then develops into this interesting voodoo mystery. But it has the vocal stylings of Tim Curry as the protagonist moving along, as well as Mark Hamill and Michael Dorn appears. And it's like the star-studded cast, and it's well-written and interesting. I just don't know. I don't think I had anything good to say about it in here. Um, Yeah, I agree with what CGW said. Pretty derivative. Technically, there's some interesting things like how they composite the video for the little girl into the scene. It's kind of mist-like in that way. Uh, I don't have anything more to say about it. Don't buy it. <laughs> Looks like you're out of customers. Yeah, your gang talk off with those those well-dressed gentlemen. So what'll it be, Mac? Where'd everybody head off to? What am I, the cruise director? Maybe they're up on the Lido deck. <laughs> I think you're in on this whole bum deal. Yeah, well, what are you going to do about it? It's just getting worse from here on out, right? I mean, not really necessarily worse, but the level of quality does not ever return to full throttle descent heretic, right? Yeah, well, Creature Shock, it's not, you know, shockingly bad so much as just very boring. And let's talk about Creature Shock. It is not an early version of System Shock or Bioshock. No. Uh, I was really hoping that maybe this was related to either of those series. It no. is very not. No, like every 1994 uh, PC game, it is an on-video shooter. Just move around your little shooting reticle and That's fire right. and hope there, for there the best. There are brief segments where you walk down generic uh, samey hallways before you then encounter yeah another like video shooting sequence. That part of it is better done, I thought, than the like intro FMV, which has some very poorly animated, poorly modeled like early nineties three D. Yeah, I mean, to, well, just to explain the demo, they picked the level where you're inside a sewer and you <laughs> just fight these sewer things. But it because it's, it's asteroid sewer. I don't know because it's on video. There aren't that many variations of how yeah. your well the things move. So the way you're supposed to do an on video shooter is yeah. that the video is this beautifully rendered background that takes you to an exotic locale and then you have sprites that come on the screen and you shoot them once and they die and then the video moves on, right? Yeah. What they did was that the they integrated the enemies into the video itself in this very long loop cycle and then they had the enemies have like a single weak spot that is mostly covered and then only at certain times during the animation is is available for you to shoot at and then they have them take 10,000 shots so that you progress at an absolute snail's pace like the the pacing in this was just 
horrible. It was just, it was like pulling teeth. Like, I, it was not fun. Yeah. I think we can wrap this one up. I saw it on the internet somewhere. I don't know the attribution anymore, sadly. That was just, it was called a poor man's Siberia. And I think that's, that's pretty right. bad because yeah. Siberia was already not a rich man's enjoyable <laughs> game. Um, wow. Okay. Well, that was pretty bad. So why don't we move on to another Avalon Hill uh, hexagonal war well, game? Well, you say another, but I, I don't remember Avalon Hill games from the previous CDs. I think they Did had... They I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I just don't recall well, it. they talked so about... Maybe there was okay. one, well, but right. I think they had some FOMO because then they had to drop two of them onto this <laughs> this CD. Fifth Fleet. I have some notes, but why don't you begin? Tell us about... Avalon Hill's Fifth Fleet. Uh, well, it is a hexagonal naval simulation in the Indian Ocean, and it's based on a board game, like many Avalon Hill games. I think the trouble I had uh, with this is I assume that this game, when boxed and sold at retail, came with an 100-page instruction manual. But have. but I didn't have that, and the, the notes on the CD were not helpful at all uh, in terms of how to play this game. So even though I thought it couldn't be too complex because how complex can a board game be? But oh, very but, complex. <laughs> but this kind of board game can be very complex. But um this one was hard. I you know, the main thing is you got to win those Maldives. That's the main thing I went for. That was my main objective. That was your main you know, objective. Just gotta, so you were playing on team tourist green. Mode. Were you playing on team green? I don't even remember. I played on team red with Russia and I think it's Russia and India against the world, basically. And I only did that because their objectives were a lot simpler for the Bay of Bengal uh, scenario. Here's here's what I needed an instruction manual for. I need to understand how India... I mean, I can understand how India and Pakistan got into a war. But how did India and Pakistan, Russia, the United States, Indonesia, and Australia all get involved in this conflict? <laughs> I mean, I can understand... some. There's some alliances there. Obviously, if there was military action, other powers in the area would deploy fleets to do things. But it's rather complicated, multi-sided conflict that I really wasn't understanding. And and who's allied with who also in the scenarios was confusing to me. But what did you think about the basic GUI? Like, and the... What do you mean the basic GUI? There's like 20 screens. <laughs> Is that what you found as well? Yeah. It's very difficult to figure out how to even issue orders. I eventually figured out you have to select you have to select your naval craft type right first. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I remember that it's not only turn based. There's like a turn. There turns within turns. Turns within turns. Yeah. Yes. There's the turns for your there's first the turns for your airplanes, the turns for your carriers, and turns for your submarines, and the turns for something else. And then you start in movement mode. And so you, you set the where all your different pieces should go. Then you hit execute, and then they move. Then you're in combat mode, right? Mm-hmm. And then you set who they should attack. Anyway, I mean, it was very similar to the Grandest Fleet from last month. And I, no, I preferred I, this, I, actually, to the Grandest really? Fleet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I found this easier to get into than Grandest Fleet, partly I because I like the visual presentation more. It's well, that's that's the part I couldn't take seriously about this game because oh. they have these big buttons that say "commit, execute, and attack," and they're like meant to look like they're on a submarine yeah, or a some, battle cruiser yeah. or right. carrier or whatever. There's some skeuomorphic design going I, in here. Uh, yeah, well, I couldn't take it seriously after that. It was like 
Because some of those buttons weren't even like some couldn't of them even do don't anything. really do anything. Yeah. yeah. Or how like the the sound settings are it's called acoustics, and it's like it's difficult to even configure your sound blaster because they try to put it all into naval terminology rather than mm. than sound card terminology. But no, I like that it had high resolution, like but low color dithered graphics. It sort of looks like an NEC PC ninety eight game or something like that. It was very legible, more so than other things. If you're a real grognard's grognard, you want to get into the technical details of the different like warships and planes and stuff. You can click on them and dig into it. It's sort of so that's sort of interesting. But I'm not the grognard's grognard, so I found it difficult to get into. It. But I, I liked it more than than Grandis Fleet for for what it's worth. We want to talk about more Avalon Hill games while we're at it. Can sure. We just get this out of the way. Yeah. What's the next one? Flight Commander Two. Flight Commander. Now II. this one I really. Just didn't really play. Um, I'll tell you why. It's called Cognitive Dissonance, okay? <laughs> and you see, it's a turn-based strategy game, as usual. Yeah. This time with airplanes. Mm-hmm. And you just see airplanes, you know, waiting their turn in the sky. And uh, that's not how planes work. They fall <laughs> out of the sky if they yes, stop. Right. They're like sharks. If they're not flying, they die. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I could see how that would be confusing. But, you know, gameplay-wise, was it... Well, I guess, to back up my point... Okay. Technology wasn't great in 1995, but they could have done... There existed games with planes that I would much rather play from this era. I see. So, that's my perspective okay you know not yeah. everything has to be a board gamey hexagonal war game you know right well if it's made by avalon hill it well then yeah. kind of has to be a board gamey hexagonal war game that's it's kind of their deal but that's fine i mean i don't i don't need to talk about that anymore i'd like to talk about another there, thing about things yeah. that fly yeah another game about flying things yes what is it well if you found that desert strike by electronic arts was too arid there's now Jungle Strike, which is a much more lush, humid, well-irrigated strike um, that is available on the disc. This is more of white guys pretending to be South American drug lords. Very uh, popular, you know. Yes, the I think the war on drugs, you know, really made people <laughs> more interested. There are two guys with some kind of half-committed facial hair and, and berets in the intro who are witnessing some sort of nuclear test or something and they say yes now we will teach the americans uh what the cost of meddling in our business operations is and then right after that they pop you into the plane and you're supposed to go and uh, blow up things apparently there's no mission briefing in this demo oh, just weird. just that intro it is weird because especially coming from the elaborate mission briefings in desert strike i kind of expected to know what i was doing visually it's just like desert strike except with trees and bushes and things mm-hmm. um which you think would be good um because deserts are a little samey but actually it makes it impossible to see the people <laughs> And the things you're trying to blow up, like anything that's in the the lush areas, you just like can't see because the people are still like three pixels, and now they're they're completely hidden in, in brush. Um, there are huts and longhouses suggesting that we are also killing people from uncontacted Amazon tribes, and then there are the usual hangars and and service to air missile silos and things that you're supposed to shoot at. And that part is still nice, and I think they've made the explosion animations better which is sort of interesting. And the controls are as good as they were before, but they didn't fix the basic issues of where is my HUD? 
Like they still don't show you how much ammo or health or fuel you have on screen. And yet all of these things are depleting in the background. And then eventually you just get, an, you get a warning on screen and said, Oh, low fuel, low fuel. And then when you don't find fuel any in time, then inevitably your, your helicopter explodes. Now what was nice is that when it does explode, of course it explodes. Yeah. It does. When it runs out of fuel, it explodes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. We've learned this about helicopters from earlier strike games. Um, but it's nice that it at least start you right where you were when you blow up. Mm. Did you play this? It's I not... forgot. I think it's uh, fine. I, I you missed nothing. I think I saw it and remembered we had done Desert Strike before, yeah, which didn't work on my emulated computer anyway. It's um, the same. Yeah. Okay. It's just greener. All um, right. It's not better. <laughs> All righty. So. Uh, what are we left with here? Wrath of the Gods. Mm-hmm. Which is a QuickTime 1.1 based point and click adventure game. Which is always a good sign. Which is always good. Actually, it didn't Especially... install right on mine. It, it didn't put the DLLs in the system folder. Oh, no. It's some sort of that... 3.1 to 98. You know what that means? They're going to have to reinstall it. They're going to put it on another disc. Oh, no. <laughs> I just copied the DLLs and then it worked. So. Okay. The QuickTime DLLs, just copy them into your system folder. That's all you gotta do. That's all you gotta do. Okay, so this game... (laughs) I love your comment here. Oh, yeah? National Lampoon's Greek Adventure Game, you wrote here. Well, maybe I was uh, affected by Noctropolis, but I just figured the whole gimmick of being in Greek mythology is somehow to involve TNA or, you know... (laughs) It usually Something was like, that. like Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, Hercules in New York. Yeah, that's yeah. But at least what we usually, got, it's usually played for laughs. Yeah, at least what we got here was more innocent, but like not exciting. I think the problem is, you know, point and click adventure games just have puzzles. Everything here is such an elementary inventory based puzzle. Yes, of I need to get this and right. I will solve that. Yes. Not even I need to get this to affect that to solve. You're saying there's no like, multi-stage puzzles. These no. are A to B, very simple, single-dimensional puzzles. Yes, yes. So you're saying is it a it's a mediocre point-and-click adventure game from the early '90s? Is that possible? You know what some people yeah. don't understand is that unless the point-and-click adventure game had the word LucasArts on it, it probably wasn't very good. Did you get the check yet? Yeah, that's right, George. I'm waiting. Don't don't leave me hanging, George. Well, the writing here is especially terrible, and it, even like compared to Noctropolis, the like look at verb it just says looks like a boat, <laughs> looks like a man, <laughs> looks like a man. It's nice that he says looks, looks like, like a sea. <laughs> yeah, and then the acting there they have like pirate voices, which didn't really make much sense to me. <laughs> Johnny Depp pirate voices? For ancient Greece. Yes. Um, well, they were seafaring people. Yes. So it makes sense that they are also pirates, like Disney pirates. Yeah. And you're, the protagonist you play is just Jason Biggs from American <laughs> Pie. The, is he Jason Biggs by his appearance or by his actions? A little bit of both. I mean, the appearance isn't exactly spot on, but, you know, I think it's more the... it's it's. A youthful, dumb protagonist. Okay. You know. Gotcha. Sort of like Guybrush Threefoot. Mm. But Guybrush Threefoot is charming, charismatic, compared to Jason Biggs. (laughs) 
So wait, so what what's the arc of the demo? What do you do? This isn't very memorable. I remember you get like the golden fleece. I forget which Greek myth this one of them too. Yeah. It's actually very forgiving this demo. Like you don't actually have to do the things that you're supposed to do. Oh. And it kind of just drags you through the end anyway. It's an open world game. Yeah, so what you did might be different than what I did. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Oh man. I want to know who knocked me out. Maybe you just passed out. You should learn to handle your liquor. You know what might look better on your nose? What? The bar. <clears throat> now don't mess around with me. Can we just go back to playing Descent? You know, Descent was on this disc. Let me just talk about how good the Descent uh, shareware version is. It's well, so it's it's actually very late to be on the disc, isn't it? Because the shareware for Descent came out in shareware for Descent, December yeah. 94, right? Yes, they rushed so, to get it out. This is when the, the retail release comes out. Was, uh, was Yes, but I'm saying the thing they put on the disc was old. I think Matt I Firm needed to call in a Hail Mary on this uh, CD here. Well, I don't know how many months ahead of time they were writing the articles. I don't know how much lead time PC Gamer had, but it probably had a lot of lead time. I think they, they may have had to work on that later on. But like to think that they weren't hip to Descent until April, you know, or even if they were, you know, writing in March or something like that, it seems kind of unlikely. Yeah. It was, a, it was an unfortunate omission from earlier discs, but it was a great thing to have on disc. Yeah. I mean, I, I enjoyed Full Throttle. I think... I actually... I don't like the vibe of Full Throttle. There's something off about the, like, there's biker some, murder thing. There's something off um, about... Well, once Maureen is introduced, I think that she kind of grounds the narrative. I oh, like it okay. more. But there's something off about all Tim Schafer games. <laughs> And, and <laughs> okay. either you love it and you're like one of those people who was, who was repping Psychonauts before it was cool, before like hipsters picked up Psychonauts, or it turns you off. Like in Grim Fandango, for instance, you know, I love the Day of the Dead theme. There's some great dialogue. They have this like 20s Hepcat vibe going on, which really cool. But then they have, you know, your friend, the giant weird mechanic guy who like has the weird, you know, drag racer that spews flame and he only talks about mechanical things and he doesn't really have any place in the world. And it's like, can we go back to the Day of the Dead? Like, what does that have to do with the Day of the Dead? Like, it's hot rods are cool and everything, but like, do we need to have a hot rod here? Can we do something that was maybe more Mexican? I don't know. Like, the- <laughs> They have vehicles, too. It's okay. I think the check's not going to clear now. The check's not going to uh, clear. Tim Schaefer's check to me is not going to clear. No. Tim, I don't get but, it, Tim. Uh, but Tim, what do you like? Tim, uh, would it kill you to have consistent tone in any of your games, Tim? But I I think it's a good game for the disc. I think it's probably the thing I, I will remember the most about it. It's just... For 95, these point-and-click adventures games, when done well, are good. Are good. Like, yeah. the, the tech was limited. Sure. I think it's a, the best storytelling medium they, they could really pull off back and, then. And Descent, you know, is this magical title that was ahead of its time. But I think Full Throttle is good in its the time. It's a 95 time, right? Yes. They, they have... FMV, they have animated cutscenes, but it uses the art from the world, so it, it doesn't it doesn't give you that whiplash back and forth between ten different art styles, right? And it's not it has a timelessness to it. I mean when, when Ben grabs the guy's nose piercing and says, You know what look better on your nose than a ring? And then wham, the bar. 
Like the dialogue is great. It's well rendered. It it has more heart, and more soul than pretty much any of the other games on this disc. That's easy. And LucasArts is on a total tear at this point because they've just released Day of the Tentacle, which I think is an unimpeachably good. I don't mean unimpeachable in the congressional sense. I mean it in the more general sense. It is a it is a timeless classic. The Day of the Tentacle has brilliant characters, incredible art design. It's so funny, so clever with its time uh, travel mechanic. You get Sam and Max, which is this gritty, subversive comic that gets turned into this really wonderful interactive game that has so much character. It's not what you expect, right? It's totally different tonally from something like what Sierra's doing with King's Quest or with Police Quest or with any of that stuff. And then you get Full Throttle, and then we're going to get The Dig, which is partially written by Ender's Game author Orson Scott Card, which has some great stuff in it. And there's a novelized version, which is pretty good. You can get in some versions of the game. And, like, it's a lot of good stuff going on in, in adventure games this time. Mm-hmm. So are we giving Full Throttle the pick of the disc? Well, that's, that's why we come to the pick of the disc. And do we give it to Full Throttle or do we give it to Heretic? I mean, okay, let's say, if we hadn't done a special episode of Descent, yeah, would you? what would you give it to? Oh, Descent. You give it to Descent, okay. So let's say that our real pick of the disc would be Descent. If we if we put Descent to the side, what's it going to be? Heretic? I mean, the pros for Full Throttle is, I think Full Throttle is... A better demo? A better... No, that's not true. I would say the better demo goes to Heretic, because there's more game. It's more complete. There's more game. It's Heretic's full, throttle. full shareware. Just in a moose bouche of, of the the right. actual release, but in terms of getting you excited about, but I, the I full got release, I got excited about full throttle. So that's yeah, good. I was excited about full throttle when I realized how it works. And the bike had a jet engine, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's stylish. It's really well produced. Really, really well written. I think pick of the disc to to full throttle. It's not Noctropolis. Those of you who are hoping that Noctropolis was going to win just because it has a casual nipple slip in the corner of a five frame per second, less than full screen FMV video, that does not get you pick of the disc. You gotta, you gotta learn, PC game developers. That's not, that's not really what people want. Um, so next time on the podcast. Next time, May, things are gonna turn around a little bit. There's things are turning some, around. There's some good games that are coming out. We have uh, Terminal Velocity coming yes, out. Yes, Terminal Velocity comes out in May. Uh, I think see. the I, other I've thing... Got a list. I've got a list of things. While you look up your list, the yeah. other thing I'm really excited about is there's sort of a, a thread of 3D graphics that will come out of the, the summer of 95. Um, yes. Involving one of the most popular arcade manufacturers and one of the smallest little startups during this time. So, may have some interesting releases, including, as you said, Terminal Velocity, but also um, Spectrum Holobyte, Star Trek The Next Generation of Final Unity, which is a very different take on the adventure game, um, and a very different take even on the Star Trek adventure game, but worth talking about, and Jagged Alliance. The original Jagged Alliance kind of flies under the radar, but I think it's a really interesting and important title by Surtech, the makers of Wizardry. Um, so that'll be fun to talk about. And yeah, I'm also looking forward to talking about the emergence of consumer 3D graphics accelerators. And that's going to really change uh, where PC gaming goes in the months and years ahead. 
Yeah, and I just heard the text ring off from Austin's phone, so I assume he has a poopy diaper to change. Yeah, I probably have to which go Which means we probably, probably need to sign off. Sorry, dear viewers, I need to go change a poopy diaper, but I'll be back to play more PC games for you next month on Smug and Play. All right, goodbye. Bye. Bye.